Blog Talk Radio. Another Wednesday edition of Sports Conversation on the Fight Network. I'm Don Henderson. We've got great reporters all around. Roy Cummings is in Tampa, Florida. A lot to talk about down there. Larry Bull will be joining us in Philadelphia. Bill Berge, 
will be joining us for down in Florida. So that's just three of the top guests we have to start the show tonight. Frank Carroll is always our executive producer. And, uh, Frank, is there a dedication tonight or no? Yes, sir. Uh, as everybody knows, November 11th is truly the uh, day that we honor the uh, veterans. And veterans are is everybody that's still serving as well as those who have served. Um, and this week, especially, want to want to give uh, a shout-out and a thank you very much to the Gold Star families. That's, that's the people who have lost a family member uh, in the service. So um, tonight's program and all this week is, is dedicated to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces. No better dedication than that, Frank. We'll get things underway and – Boy, oh boy, do we have something to talk about down in Tampa, Florida. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers lost a game that was impossible to lose, I think, but they proved that to be a falsehood. Roy, tell us about it. You were there. You saw it first day. I was fortunate enough because the game ahead of that game on uh, CBS ended uh, early. So I got to see the last 10 minutes of uh, the Bucks game, which was uh, terrific to watch. But, I mean, a major disappointment for Tampa, Florida. Yeah, quite a disappointment. Um, You know, you say impossible to lose, which is true, unless, of course, you happen to be the defense giving up, um, allowing a rookie quarterback to produce the most most yards, rather, uh, ever produced by a rookie quarterback in a single game, uh, 455 yards and five touchdowns. Um, I mean, it just was – just remarkable. It, it's it's kind of hard to make, you know, figure out who the Bucks really are. I mean, they have these moments clearly where their defense is just, you know, just an absolute sieve, and it they can't stop anything. And that was one of those moments. I, you know, I hate to say that, say it, but I I think they may have definitely taken uh, C.J. Stroud and the Houston Texans for granted. I. I believe they were prepared. I mean, they had 10 days to get prepared. Um, but I, I think they underestimated the ability of the young quarterback and, and the Texans overall uh, because the Texans just continued to, you know, build up, you know, pile up chunk yards, chunk plays here and there, and to pile up the yards. And they never, you know, quit. I mean, by far, they outplayed Tampa Bay. And, uh, you know, were it not for uh, Baker Mayfield playing as well as he did throughout most of the game, the Bucks could have gotten blown out. I mean, they're the fortunate. Roy Mayfield got him in the end zone with what? Only a minute remaining, and the rookie yeah, quarterback takes him takes him all the way down and, and scores and beats him in the last five seconds. Yeah, with no timeouts, with no timeouts, and I mean, he did it in a hurry, and it was just you know horribly soft coverage, and uh, there's just a lot of uh, a lot of real questionable, you know. Play calling, uh, lack of aggressiveness. Clearly, the personnel just wasn't up to the up to the you know up to the task, and and it just it just makes you wonder. I mean, who are who is this? You know, what is this Buccaneers team? Are they? You know, I mean, they won you know early on against teams they should have beaten. Lost a couple of games against teams that are clearly better than them, but now they go on the road to Houston and uh, and just play, you know, defensively at least, just just absolutely horrendous game. So, uh, you know, it's hard to believe that this is a, a playoff caliber team 
And I don't know that, you know, it's one thing to make the playoffs. It's another thing to be a playoff caliber team. I'm not sure if the Bucks are a playoff caliber team, although they could still make the playoffs. So we'll see where it goes. But they got some work to do. Well, let's get down to Philadelphia because Roger Hendler saw the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday, and uh, they were a little bit of a surprise. Uh, Dallas Cowboys went up on the five-yard line. Uh, uh, a couple of unbelievable plays stepping out of bounds on the six-yard line uh, inadvertently uh, going in for a, a two-point conversion. Uh, but I'll go to Roger and let him talk about we're going to have Bill Berge on with us in just a little bit, a Hall of Famer, former Eagle. But, uh, Roger, we're going to get your concept first. They were lucky to win that game, the Eagles. That's the bottom line. Uh, I couldn't believe that uh, Dallas uh, had so, so many uh, situations that developed uh, where uh, the you know where they held them uh, basically at the what the one yard line, and then uh, for when Prescott uh, and I could understand that. I mean it was close, and he, he's trying to get into uh, the end zone. But there were just uh, a, a number of uh, bad call, of calls, I mean, plays, uh, bad plays that were run for, by the Cowboys. But also the Eagles still have not uh, shown everybody uh, that, you know, they are, uh, they only have one loss. Uh, that's one thing. But they haven't shown uh, in any game, I would say, other than the Miami game, and I mean Sunday night's game against the Cowboys, for, from a viewing perspective, was a great game. There is no doubt about it. I mean, it had everything in it. But if, if the way the Eagles are supposed to be playing, if they have not played except really in the Miami game. And uh, they've won, uh, but uh, not, not the way they're supposed to uh, function. Roger, the only thing that they have shown consistently from game one is the tush play. <laughs> they yeah, never yeah. fail on the tush play, whether it's no, fourth never. and two, no. fourth and one, fourth and a half inch. They, that's the only play that they never miss on. Yeah, and, and not, no other team has been successful uh, attempting it, to run it. So, you know, it shows they've got it down pat, but you also have a quarterback that bench, uh, I think, what, bench press like uh, 650 pounds, something like that. Uh, so the, I mean, you know, if it wasn't for him and I feel sorry for, uh, for Kelsey, Jason Kelsey at the bottom of that pile every time. <laughs> and by the way, for those people around the country, Jason is the brother of the tight end split end of the, uh, uh, Kansas city chiefs. So uh, the two brothers, uh, one in Philadelphia, one in Kansas City, and uh, the brother gets a little heavy action inside on that line as the left guard. Anyway, uh, the Eagles did win it. Uh, I, I'll get you both of your opinions uh, because, to me, I, I think that almost locks up uh, the division for them. I mean, they're, they're, they've only lost one game. The Cowboys have now lost three. Uh, start with you, Roy. Do you think that's a closeout? Well, there's an awful lot of football left to be played. And, uh, if, yeah, if everybody stays healthy, I would say they probably – it almost locks it up for them. But, you know, as Roger pointed out, you know, it wasn't like they completely controlled the game. Um, you know, the, look, I don't think Dallas is that good. Um, 
I think Dallas is a – so, you know, beating Dallas in Dallas, certainly it's an achievement. But um, I, I, here's the thing. I, I guess I, could, I would say yes because I, don't, I still don't think we've seen the Eagles play their best football yet. We've seen, Amen. you know, glimpses of it here and there. But I don't Correct. think we've seen them play their best football yet. So, yeah, I guess from that standpoint, assuming everybody stays healthier, you know, at least the, the major players stay healthy, um, yeah, I would say they probably do have it kind of wrapped up. I mean, it looks like Washington is kind of bagging it. Um, they've, you know, they've moved a couple of players out already, and it looks like they're probably looking towards uh, next season already in the draft. Uh, the Giants just—they're going to start a, uh, I believe, a rookie quarterback this week. They're—they're not—they're not, not going to be a challenge. They're so, dead, right? <laughs> yeah, they're dead. I, I so yeah, I guess um, you know, barring something you know tragic, uh, you know, the loss of Hurts or the loss of uh, you know AJ Brown, something like that. Yeah, I would say they probably do have it kind of locked up at this point. They, uh, you know, but I, but I would also warn against this, guys. I, I would not if I'm the Eagles. Again, because we haven't seen them play their best football consistently, I sure, sure as heck wouldn't put it on cruise control. Um, I, I think they need some some tough games against tough opponents to get ready for the playoffs, and I think they got to start looking at some of the games going forward over the next course of the next month in that way. And that's what they have, Roger. Roger I agree They've with got... both of you. I think you know they really haven't played anything close to the kind of no. football that most of us expected them to play from the first game on. Uh, it's been very, very iffy. They've won the games. They've won a lot of games coming back in the fourth quarter. They've won the games when they were well down, like in Washington a couple of weeks ago when they were well down, came back and won. They've only lost one game. Uh, or you could look at them and say, yes, that they're in the driver's seat. But as Roy said and you just said, this is not the team we expected to see. Well, no. And, and the t- like Roy, uh, the, uh, you were saying, Roy, the, t- the toughest part of the schedule starts – a week from this weekend, okay, because they had the bye this weekend. And that's Kansas City. And then they also play at Seattle, and they play San Francisco, and then they play at Dallas. So there's four games that are going to be under against a rough competition, good competition. And uh, I think that uh, Kansas City uh, game will definitely tell something about this team because they still have a short memory of uh, the Super Bowl, which they very well could have won. And, but as you also said, Roy, unless there's a disaster uh, health-wise uh, injuries, uh, I think that they, they, uh, they can win the, uh, the division title. Uh, but, you know, they want to be the number one seed. They do not want to be... Uh, like last year, they were number one. And then when you have to go on the road and uh, possibly play, if you're not the number one, uh, you know, that can be a problem. Roy, right. two-part and, and question. Add, one uh, is how many mediocre I, I, teams are we looking at this year? I mean, the games that well, I've seen, uh, boy, oh, boy, the Sunday night game the other night was terrible. Uh, and I'll tell you, I've never <laughs> – I got to say honestly, I've never gotten up for a game at 9:30 in the morning. I got up for the you know, the one this week because I thought, well, Kansas City and Miami, this has to be a really outstanding game. Nothing. Uh, that'll be the last time I get up at 9:30 in the morning to see a football game. But uh, I, you're lucky. I think you most, get, I think most of the time, there. most of the games that I've seen have not really been top-notch NFL football in my mind. 
You know, I I, I, I totally agree. Um, we haven't we have not seen a lot of really good football here um, from from the league at all, really. Um, I don't know that there's any team that looks like they've got got it all together. Um, but to to kind of finish off our our point about you know do the Eagles kind of have it wrapped up? Yeah, Dallas has three losses, but they've still got another game against the Eagles to go. And as Roger just pointed out, the Eagles are about to go into their toughest stretch. They could easily, especially the way they're playing. Um, again, not having really hit their hit hit full stride yet, it seems. They could easily lose to lose a couple of these games, and if they end up facing Dallas again, and Dallas wins that game, you know, depending on how it all you know goes down the stretch, uh, they could you know they could still end up you know lo- losing the division. So I think it comes down to that, really. I think it comes down to okay, let's see what happens over the course of the next month, and what happens in that next Dallas game. Because I, I, I'm, I'm with you on Dallas, and, and I'm, I said at first is that I don't think they're a very good team. I think they're one of those mediocre teams like everybody else. But I think they've also got the ability to become better more than most teams. It's like I think there's more of an opportunity for Dallas to catch fire here than there is for anybody else, really, to catch fire. I mean, I don't, I don't see the Bucks catching. You know, they, could, they could be all right. But, I mean, Dallas has the ability and the personnel, I think, to uh, – to, to still make this interesting, and I think they probably will before it's all said and done. And, and again, in part because of the way that, that Washington and the Giants are basically kind of bagging it. Oh, the, I don't think they could be a good college team, to be honest with you, right now. But let's switch over. Your Bailey Waker course is the National Hockey League. You follow the, the ladies since they were first formed in uh, Tampa, Florida. Uh, I think they lost two games back, six to five. Uh, they came back with a win uh, two nights ago. Uh, how do you how do you look at the, the Lightning, and how do you look at the National Hockey League and their division? Well, uh, you know, we've been talking a lot about a lot about a lot about mediocrity in the NFL, and uh, right now, I would say that the Lightning are a pretty good example of uh, some of the mediocrity in the NHL, and. That's a new uh, that's a new issue for for Lightning fans. They are not a team that uh, you know has really ever been mediocre. Well, they've been mediocre many times, but you know for the last two, three, four, five years they have not been mediocre. They've had stretches where they struggle and things like that. But right now they are kind of a mediocre hockey team, and the primary reason is again is it's just um, it's goaltending and defense. And I thought they made an interesting move today in moving Zach Bogosian. Uh, to the Minnesota Wild for a seventh-round pick. Now, Pagosian's only played in four games this year, but I think he's one of those veteran guys, right-handed shot defenseman. I, I think he's the kind of guy that they kind of need to to kind of, you know, settle things down a little bit and, and maintain a, the proper perspective through this difficult stretch. You know, I don't think we're that far away from seeing Vasilevsky come back, and it really, I think with the Lightning, all they need to do is just, just hang in there. You know, just, just be, you know... Ten points or less, you know, out of the uh, out of the top spot, or you know, two, three, four, five, six points at the most out of a playoff spot. And I think they'll be able, and I think they'll be all right once they get Vasilevsky back. And that's assuming that he's fine, that he's not rushed back too soon or anything like that, which could be, you know, that could be an issue as well. But we'll see. But you know, so the Lightning are kind of, you know, just a, a mediocre team themselves, but they do still have 
you know, Kucherov, who's leading the league in points right now, uh, tied for the league in, league, league in goals, uh, Braden Point, uh, Stamkos, they, they, there's still a lot there, to, you know, to fear with this hockey team. Um, but, you know, if you're talking about the And they'll get their goalie back league, after the holidays. Well, that's the belief, yeah, and, and maybe before, so we'll see. And uh, but the biggest, you know, the, the biggest story really, really to me in the NHL is is just the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, they continue to to play just horrible, and they're, they're kind of like the, you know, they're a team that uh, it, it, you know, there was a lot of talk, especially in Canada, really not anywhere else, that that this was a team that was poised to win a Stanley Cup this year. And it's all based on the fact that, um, you know, we talked about this before. It's all based on the whole fact that, you know, they've got the two, arguably the two best players in the league right now in De- Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. But at the end of the day, they just don't have the depth defensively. They don't have the structure and they don't have the goaltending and it's really showing up and it's showing up in a, in a bad way in a lot of places where it shouldn't. And, um, you know, they are a team that, uh, that is really struggling to find themselves. Unlike, the Flyers, who uh, appear to have found uh, a little something. Uh, again, uh, I wouldn't put them out of the media- mediocre uh, range, the Flyers, but uh, as John Tortorella has said, uh, after a couple of the losses, he likes the group. He likes what he's got, and uh, and, and I think it's only going to get better. Um, you know, they'll, they'll probably make some moves here before the season's over uh, to shore some things up, but uh, right now I think um, – I think Torts likes the way they're playing. I think he likes the people he's got. And I think it's a team that uh, every night is going to give you a game. And it's been a couple of years since you could say that about the Flyers. Well, go to back to Philly. And, Roger, uh, we talked with Tom LeMay last week, who covers the, the Flyers for all their games. And uh, he was sort of skeptical about uh, the pluses and minuses. Uh, Roger, your observation, you were there uh, two games ago. I don't think you were there for the last one, but two yeah, games ago. I was there Saturday. Yeah, I was there Saturday night, too. I've been there for two out of the last three. And um, I, I agree with uh, Roy about uh, John Tortorella. Uh, the, I will say the game on Saturday night, uh, they uh, stayed in it, and the, uh, the goaltending was the albatross. Because uh, Carter Hart is uh, still day-to-day. Now, they uh, played last night, and it was a 2-1 game. And then they play the Ducks, I think it's uh, Friday night. So they're on this Western trip for two weeks. And I think uh, we'll know a little bit better. But they are very competitive, and they're a fun team to watch. And I just hope that the uh, Wells Fargo uh, continues the draw, but uh, they did a great job uh, on fr- on uh, Saturday night. Uh, it was honoring uh, the military because obviously uh, Veterans Day uh, is coming up and they're away, so that was when they did it. And they uh, they did a, a, a Tom and I, you know, are both veterans, so we really uh, appreciate that. But I, I tell you, Roy, I think that uh, they're be- best. They're, they're they have much better days ahead than they have in the rearview mirror. Well, I'll tell you, we'll stay with yeah. the National Hockey League for a minute, but uh, I just want to say I saw two really fun games last night. First one in the, was the first real college game with two teams. Auburn played Baylor at Baylor, and you never you never win at Baylor. And yet uh, Auburn was ahead. Uh, Pearl was all ahead right to the last minute and a half of the game. Uh uh, just a terrific, terrific game at to start the season in college basketball. 
And uh, Baylor, of course, did in the end come on and win the game. Uh, and they won it really. I think they won it by five points uh, somewhere there because they had a couple of fouls called at the very end. But just a terrific game back and forth for the first game. Normally you don't see, you know, two outstanding teams play each other the first game of the season. Uh, also saw St. John's play their first game last night uh, against the Sony Brook, which meant nothing. Uh, they won like 90-50. to 50. I saw that game as well. But the game that, that, that really drew my attention was Colorado and, uh, and the Devils. I don't know. Did either one of you guys watch Colorado and the Devils last night? Absolutely. Sure did. What did you think? I, I, I never saw a game like that. Well, here's the thing. You know, Colorado coming off a 7 nothing loss uh, right. to, uh, to Vegas, which uh, hockey fans, that one, that one was on the calendar, even if you're just a casual fan of the NHL. That's a game that was on almost everybody's calendar saying, okay, that's going to be a great game. And it was an absolute dud. And but they also the lost four games about, in a row, right, before last night's game. Yeah. The unfortunate thing about New Jersey, well, thought it was unfortunate, was they come into Colorado without Nico Heischer, without Jack Hughes, and we're finding out that, you know, and as you would expect, you take your two best players off the, you know, off the ice, uh, and, and you're going to be compromised a bit. So um, not quite the, the spectacle that we hoped it would be, but um, still uh, two – Two teams that are definitely uh, going places this year, that's for sure. I mean, I think New Jersey could be, when everybody's healthy, they could be the best team in the league right now. I, it, it, I mean, they've got more speed than anybody. They're very young. They, they're not afraid to take chances. Uh, they play a style that's very entertaining. Uh, they're not just, you know, locking it up at the, you know, uh, on, on the left wing or in the neutral zone. They're, they're, uh, they're going for it, and uh, they are an entertaining hockey team for sure, as is Colorado. Well, as I say, it was unbelievable. They scored the first goal of the game, and then Colorado scored two to make it two-one, and then they get a, a five-on-three, and they give up a and they give up a breakaway. I mean, unbelievable. Yeah. And then in the second in the second period, Colorado does the same thing, and the penalty minutes. Oh my God, I I didn't write it down. Maybe you remember, but I mean, it was so high with the number of penalties and and serious penalties. I mean, not just penalties. And uh, yeah. it was uh, just a crazy game. More five on threes, and Colorado Colorado gets caught for they got a five on three, and they get caught for a six man on the ice that would eliminate <laughs> one of the one of the advantages they have. I mean, I, the game yeah. was unbelievable to me, Roy. Yeah, I know it was. It really was. I mean, it was. Look, and 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 I think the Devils are a team that, and Colorado too. They're teams that don't take a whole lot of penalties usually, and. Um, it just, you know, it was one of those, there were, there were times when you kind of was, were thinking, okay, I wish the refs would kind of just, you know, swallow the whistle a little bit here and let these two teams play because, but you know, you're, you're right though. The five on threes created an opportunity for us to see the, you know, the great athleticism of some of the players that, uh, you know, that, that make these teams as good as they are. Kale McCard, Devin Tays, uh, you know, uh, McKinnon. I mean, there's just, there's like, you know, if you follow, again, if you follow the NHL, I mean, there was star quality in that game, uh, even without Heischer and, and Hughes in it for, uh, for 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 New Jersey. So, uh, real you know, quite an entertaining game. Uh, maybe not as clean cleanly played as everybody would hope it would be, um, but hey, you know what? That's uh, you get two teams together like that, and uh, when, again, the speed is what 
often result in a lot of these penalties, and both of those teams have plenty of speed, and that's one of the reasons that you saw some of those, so many of those penalties was it's just very hard for teams to, to keep up with that speed. I mean, if you don't, if, if, if you can't keep up defensively, you're often going to take a penalty, and that's what we saw a lot of last night. Roger, uh, the Rangers playing a lot of defense. The Islanders, Islanders playing a lot of defense, uh, but uh, the Rangers are really making it work to start the season. Yeah, well, uh, just getting back to uh, that game last night, uh, yeah, the um, you know you look at, at the uh, records of the Devils and the Avalanche, eight eight and three, and uh, no ties for the Avalanche, seven four and one for the Devils. And then you look around the league. The Ducks are seven and five. That's who the Flyers play next. And yet the Flyers last night, when they played the Sharks, the Sharks are uh, I think one ten and one. So they are yeah. not very elite. Um, but I did want to give you because uh, I know both of you are big hockey fans. Tom uh, Lemaine gave me this on oh, Saturday night. Hold on, Roger. Night. Let me just go quickly to line twelve because Frank tells me. Uh, Young man wants to talk about the Rangers, so go to it. Well, first of all, I'm not that young, but thanks. You know, you were mentioning the um, Devils, and they're off to a good start. But the Rangers are first place in the Atlantic uh, Division, so what do you make of their chances uh, going far this year? And can they avoid the slump they had in the second round last year when they lost to the Devils, which they could have won? I'll tell you, I love the Rangers right now, and I love their defense. I think that was a a major move. They made some trades at the end of last year, I think, which were very, very successful. I think the Rangers are a very, very uh, hot team to win the division. That's my personal opinion. Roger? 9-2-1, and one, the Rangers. Uh, uh, they yeah. uh, won 5-3 to three over the Red Wings. Uh, but what I was going to give you a quick t- uh, tidbit, uh, Tom told me uh, that they entered one time, I don't know when it was, but Wayne Gretzky, who I think does a great job on the uh, – uh, pre-game and post-game, yeah, you know, with TNT. But anyway, yep. he was asked one time what uh, he attributed to his lengthy career. And he said he had talked to Gordy Howe, and Gordy Howe told him, never lift anything. And he said from then on, he never lifted anything. He'd hire guys, suitcases, everything. And, and I just found that a very interesting story. Uh, because, you know, you think about everything that we do in normal, uh, everyday life about lifting things, and then you have, uh, you know, all kinds of groin injuries right. and everything, which I had a couple of years ago from helping. Well, let's see uh, what our caller thinks about the Rangers. You you called with that on your, on your mind. What do you think? Oh, I yeah. Know. So, first, go ahead. First of all, uh, Wayne Gretzky did lift the Stanley Cup a few times. So other than that, yeah, yeah it probably made a lot <laughs> right. of sense. But, uh, That's but, true. but yeah. you know, look, there's three teams right now who I think are as as, as close to flawless as you can be, and it's it's and you can look at the standings and see it. It's, it's Vegas, Boston, and the Rangers. And by flawless, I mean exceptional goaltending. And I think the, yeah. the Rangers probably have the best of the bunch, despite Olmark and, and Swayman in Boston. I still think the Rangers have the best in Chesterkin. But their defense is so solid. You know, you've got Truba and Miller, and you've got Fox. I mean, you've got everything you need in that defense core. you got guys who can move the puck for you, guys who can just shut it down defensively. You've got the toughest. You're going to pay a price in front of that. And then you've got players like, you know, Kreider and Zabanejad. 
these guys who can, you know, they can kill a penalty as well as they can score on the power play, and you got a lot of those guys. I mean, that team is just well, very, Kreider's coming very, out of the gate red hot this year. He's playing very, very well. What does yeah, our caller think? I, I, still, I didn't hear what, what his opinion of the Rangers is. Oh, so I, far, I, I thought you were asking I'm, for me, Mike. <laughs> I'm very pleased with the Rangers so far. I mean, I had a little bit, I had maybe doubts going in, you know, the beginning of the season after what happened at the end of last year, but so far I think they've you know, cleaned up on the major mistakes and you know, everything seems to be right on target this year so far. As I can't say the same thing for the Sharks, who are one ten and one, almost broke the record for the worst start in uh, hockey history. I mean, that was like like Harlem, and they beat the Flyers last night. How I'll never know. <laughs> but I guess they they got they got to win sometime. I mean, nobody's going to go zero and eighty two, but. To have a pathetic start like that, 0-11-1 or whatever it was, I mean, they got some work to they got some work to do. The Sharks one time were a very respectable team. Now they're just like crash and burn. Yeah, they've they've got about three decent players there. You know, Thomas Hurdle, uh, Luke Coonan, maybe if you you, you consider yeah. that. Uh, there just isn't much there. I mean, there really isn't. And you know, it seems like the Sharks have kind of missed the boat. On uh, what I'll, I'll leave you guys with this. Um, right now, sure. I think the NHL is on the cusp of one of its greatest generations of players ever. Oh, Almost yeah. every team in the league. It's not just Connor Bedard. You know, it's Trevor Zegras. It, it's it's uh, Cooley in, in, in Arizona. All, every team has some kid who's 18, 19, 20, or 21 years old who has superstar written all over him. Uh, don't yeah. know that they're all going to make it, but San Jose is a team that seems to have missed that boat. They yeah. they don't have any of those guys, and you can look at almost every other team in the league. You know, even a team like Toronto with you know Matthew Nyes, uh, a young yeah. kid who, and a lot of these kids are coming out of U.S. colleges. That's the other exciting thing for for you know right. fans here in the U.S. is that college what about hockey. The Rebels, is, say it again. How about the Red Wings, though? Because they haven't made – I mean, you know, oh, they've yeah. been a sport, but, uh, you know, they seem to be, you know, um, you know, coming around. Yeah, I know somebody from the Detroit area, and he's a diehard uh, Red Wings fan. And, you know, it's just something missing when they don't make the postseason. I mean, they've had some terrible uh, seasons in recent years. But I'm wondering if finally this year they can make something happen. Well, I think well, they fellas, can. the time is up on this segment. All, Roy, as always, thank you very, very much for your uh, contribution. As always, the first half hour. Thank you for our caller to uh, check on the Rangers. Always like to know what New York is doing. Roger and I will sit back down because Larry Bow is going to join us. And, Larry, I'll tell you, a lot of baseball conversation. Uh, i, I got to quickly touch on the World Series, uh, even though I'd like not to. <laughs> it, it, oh. You know, the thing, the thing that reminded me, Larry, more than anything else, you and I chatted a number of times about it. Your flight from Chicago to San Diego, when you were going out there with a big lead, you were going to win easily in San Diego, you were going to the World Series, and the next thing you knew, you were back home. I, I, I remind, remember that so well. You tell me what happened on that plane ride going out, trying to tell those guys it's not over. And I, and I think this was sort of the same thing with the fans, the, 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 the attitude of the whole city of Philadelphia. I think they thought they had it won and it was all over. Yeah. yeah. No, no doubt, Don. I mean, I, I, you know, even being on the outside as far as not being in uniform, I'm not saying this is, 
it looked like it was a slam dunk, but I, I really believe our team, man for man and talent wise, was better. But hey, you got to go out there and play, and you got to give Arizona credit. They went out there and and did something that not too many teams did against us, especially when two games in a row at our ballpark uh, to get to the World Series. So uh, it was a big disappointment, I believe. I, you know, I, I'm a firm believer that uh, uh, you know people say, oh, "Well, you got that far." Uh, I disagree. I think we should have gone to the World Series, and uh, mm-hmm. hey, hopefully we get another opportunity. You know, you don't get as many. Everyone thinks you're going to go there every year. Dollars. Go ahead. Go ahead, back in, 19, back in 1999 when um, you played against the Yankees, and they got and the Yankees swept them. Well, I, I wasn't with the Yankees in '89. No, in '99, '99. No, I wasn't with them either. Oh, no. <laughs> no. Uh-uh. no Roger, the, caller, Roger. Uh, the, the hockey caller is still, uh, still with us. Uh, yeah. You know, that was talking about the Rangers, uh, Larry. Right. But, uh, oh, no, okay. I, okay. I'm, I'm with you, Larry. We talked about it, you know, I know when you were on uh, the bull session with uh, Dan Baker. You know, I was there, and, right. and there was a lot of discussion about it. And, you know, it, it's just a shame. I thought that th- this was their opportunity, uh, the Phillies' opportunity, to go and win the World Series. And it just goes to show you how the tide can change overnight or on a plane ride it, to uh, <laughs> to Arizona. No <laughs> you know, the, the, the thing that was that was baffling to me is, we were really swinging the bats well. And in the last three right. games, four games, all of a sudden, even, you know, to get where we were, our big boys played like stars. And then at the end, they didn't play like they they were pre- the previous eight, nine games that we had in the playoffs. So I, I have no yeah. idea. I mean, you got to give, obviously, Arizona some, some credit there. But I also think that uh, the lack of concentration on our part, we swung at a lot of bad pitches the last couple games, especially at our ballpark. And like I said before, you know, that's why you play the games. And Arizona, hey, I I take my hat off to them because if you think about it, they had two pitchers. Then they went with, uh, well, they had three. The kids through the third game, to me, had great stuff. But then they went with an opener, and uh, they did what they had to do. Their bullpen shut us down completely the last three or four games. I thought it was very interesting, uh, just as you're saying, Larry, about those last couple of games, because they they played the last couple of games like they played the games in May and June. Uh, you know, where yep. they struck out a lot, they took swung a lot, ton of bad pitches, and it just uh, sort of continued, uh, starting in the first and second inning of game number six, and carried right through game seven to the ninth inning. Yeah, you know, what you said about swinging at bad pitches, the last game I think we swung at 16 pitches that were in the dirt. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, there's going to be times when you're hitting, as we all know. Hey, a pitcher fools you and you get fooled, but to do that 16 times with the lineup that we had, our lineup from top to bottom, I'll put up against anybody. But at that time, Mm -hmm. everybody went cold at once, and uh, that's what happened, man. You you can't take every game you got to take like, hey, I don't care who we're playing. You got to go out there and bust it for nine innings, twenty-seven outs, and for some reason we just didn't rise to the occasion. Roger. Yeah, well, there's no doubt about it. And, and Nick Castellanos uh, really basically said that in the post game after uh, the loss, Larry. 
Uh, he, he didn't know, uh, you know, but uh, all of a sudden, uh, flying to Arizona, like the whole uh, world changed as far as the Phillies were concerned. You're right. You're right. All of a sudden, it did change. Uh, and uh, even even when, when, when they evened it up at 2-2, two to two, and then we won the, the, the last game in Arizona to take a 3-2 lead, I, I felt good about it, you know, coming mm-hmm. to our park. And just having to win one game there, uh, right. especially the way we played it at home. But hey, it didn't happen. And uh, you know, like I said, everyone thinks, oh, because of our lineup, we're going to be back there again every year. But you don't, you never know what's going to happen. Guys get hurt. Mm-hmm. You make a couple changes here, a couple changes there. Maybe some other teams make some big splashes in the free agency, and uh, you don't reach the goal you want to reach. So it, it, every every year is a different year. You only get so many opportunities in this game, and this is two now that we've – I'm not saying we've blown them, but we've been had the opportunity to win a World Series the last two years. Larry, well, uh, one, Rangers, of the things I'd like to talk, one of the things I'd like to talk to you about is because of uh, your managerial experience. Uh, the New York Mets are now going with uh, <laughs> the bench coach with uh, Boone in New York who's never really managed a major league team. And he's in a sort of very unusual situation with the Mets. Now, I realize Cohen's going to spend a hell of a lot of money, but you don't win spend a lot of money. He spent a lot of money last year, and he got two pitchers he couldn't pitch when he got to August. Right. Uh, how about, how about the decision that was made over there? I don't know. I've I got to be very honest with you. I don't know him at all. I, I, I see him on the bench with the Yankees, but I, I don't know him as a – player or a manager or a decision maker, you do. What do you think? Well, usually, Don, you know, it used to be when you when you manage in a big market, you better have some experience. And I know the game has changed a lot, that analytics have basically taken over a lot of the games. Uh, they hand down who to pitch, when to pitch them. Uh, but you still need that experience where you look into somebody's eye, you have that gut reaction, what you feel at that particular time. But it seems like teams now are, are leaning the other way and uh, experience doesn't matter. I mean, it used to be you had to pay your dues and everything to get that kind of job. And, again, I don't. Maybe maybe he will do good. I don't know. Uh, but it, it's a tough situation to be put somebody in, first time managing the big leagues in a high market like uh, New York. And um, I don't know. I just uh, it's going to be interesting to watch this thing play out because it sounds it does sound like the Mets aren't going to spend a lot of money, or I should say, aren't going to go overboard with money. And uh, you know they're going to have to do something because the Phillies are going to be very active here. Atlanta's still real good. Um, Miami's really come on with their good pitching. Uh, so if the Mets want to be competitive, they're going to have to go out and write some checks and. And hopefully this kid uh, can handle the situation there. 42 years old, never managed. I mean, he's in a tough situation at managing in New York to boot. I mean, you rode there with the Yankees and Joe Torrey for a long time. That's not the easiest place to walk into the ballpark and say you're going to be a manager team. No, it's not. I mean, you'd like to see a guy take, you know, a small market team and uh, maybe they're rebuilding and you let him manage and learn from his mistakes. Uh, But – I don't think the fans are going to want to listen about rebuilding with the Mets. It just, you know, that's a high-profile organization, and the owners even the owners have come out a lot of times and said, "Hey, I want to win as bad as anybody." So, 
we'll see how this thing plays out. It's going to be interesting. Uh, but the East is, to me, there's three real good teams in the East. I, I'm not counting my, Miami out at all. I don't know how active they're going to be in the uh, free agent market. I know they don't spend a lot of money. But now you can get some trades and uh, make some trades because they have a surplus of pitching down there. And they might be able to fill up a couple holes down there. Roger? Well, on the flip side of uh, that situation in New York, uh, a, a senior manager, uh, Ron Washington, got the job with the Angels. So I think that uh, is, sets a really good picture, uh, Larry, for some hope about what you were saying to get, get a manager with uh, some senior experience. And, you know, I, I think I, I look at uh, – uh, Thompson, and, and but I also look at Brian Snicker and the sin, success right. he's had on a guy right. that was, what, 41 years in the organization at every level. I love those guys. I don't know you love yeah. them. Don and Frank and I both love them because that's what we grew up with when when somebody went through a system and and did everything. And and I'm, so I'm he, happy for Ron Washington. I, I am, too. I, I think Ron's a great baseball guy. You know, the, the thing that, that, that I look at, uh, you know, you, you take a look at – you can have all the analytics that you want. Again, there's some good stuff in analytics. There's also some stuff that uh, that I think is just overkill. But take a look at the teams that were successful. I mean, Dusty. Dusty had a, a pretty good year again. Bruce Bochy mm-hmm. comes in. Snitker comes in. Ron, Rob Thompson, who's paid his dues, no question about it. He's ridden a lot of buses. He's paid his dues in the minor leagues, did a good job. So it, it seems like, uh, you know, there are some teams leaning towards, hey, you know what, maybe the experience does matter. Maybe a manager that's seen everything and been around everything matters. And until we get back, and I'm not saying it's ever going to get back that way, but until somebody this is evened out a little bit where you say, okay, I'm going to take the analytics, but I also want the old school where uh, – where guys, uh, you know, feel it in their gut. They can look into a pitcher's eyes and see, hey, he's had it. I mean, no one's showed me a book where it says a pitcher can't go through a, a lineup three times. And until I see that, but yet I keep seeing pitchers a third time through the lineup, get them out of there. They, they, can't, uh, mm-hmm. they can't get through a lineup. So, you know, the game's got to change that way. It's embarrassing to see teams have openers playing in the World Series. I, I just – that's hard for me to believe, but it's happened. And uh, mm-hmm. it looks like uh, there's a lot of these, these young young general managers that think that's the way to go. And uh, I, I personally, in the long run, I think it's just it's sort of embarrassing to the sport. I guarantee these pitchers would like to go nine innings. I guarantee it. But they've mm-hmm. sort of like been, hey, why fight City Hall? This is the way it is. And they think I can only go five innings? Then that's what I'm going to do. Well, let me ask you this, Larry. Uh, a major surprise in Milwaukee. Everybody thought he was going to go to the New York Mets, as you indicated a little bit ago, and Cone indicated uh, during the week uh, that he that he was his first choice, but uh, he was not going to pay a, an exorbitant fee. And yet, uh, going to Chicago, which was a complete surprise, he made just a little bit more than you did when you were managing. He's only got getting at eight million a year, forty million for five years. That was a little more. That's a little more than you made, isn't it? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I, w- I was shocked that that he left uh, Milwaukee. I understand that. Hey, maybe they were paying him a lot less than 
they should have. Uh, but I thought for sure with the transition from the, the one general manager going to the Mets from Milwaukee, I thought for sure he was going to go there. But it didn't pan out that way. It reads a lot of articles. He wanted to stay in the Midwest and uh, and picking that division – that might be the best place for him to be because that that division is not real strong. I mean, you look at Pittsburgh, right. you look at Cincinnati, Milwaukee's hurting. They're going to lose some pitching, um, so he might have picked. There might have been a good fit for him. And I was, I felt a little bad for for David Ross. You know, I thought he did a real good job. But I was uh, going to say the same thing. Know. I was really surprised. I mean, I thought he did a very very solid job, and he was a big favorite in Chicago. Uh, I would have thought administration would have said, "Look, we've got a guy that's really very favorable in our own backyard." Yep, I, I, that, that caught everybody off guard. I think, and I'm sure he'll get another opportunity somewhere. But uh, the fact the way they did it, uh, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, there wasn't even any. Usually, there's rumors saying, "Oh, this guy's on the hot seat," and you never read really no. one thing about David Ross being on the hot seat. In fact, I thought he did a pretty good job considering during the. the August or something, he, they had a bad run there for a while, and he kept everybody together, and they almost made it to the playoffs. I mean, they didn't come up too much short, but uh, obviously Milwaukee, uh, they had a tough time catching Milwaukee. Roger? Well, the I heard, uh, I guess, later late today that uh, uh, there, I guess uh, one of the uh, coaches uh, at uh, Houston – uh, is wanted to be a manager. I forget what team. And I guess uh, Major League Baseball said uh, you can't uh, sign him until Houston makes a decision because I assume that the coach is on contract with the team. Oh, okay. And I okay. could have – that yeah, would make I, I, sense. Yeah, I can understand. But, you, but usually yeah. if, if, you're, if you're getting an opportunity to promote yourself to a higher higher job, they give you that permission to go talk. But – uh, I think uh, the, is the guy you're talking about is Spada. I'm not sure who it is, but uh, I, th- I think it, it may be. be Larry. Yeah, yeah. But you know, again, that Major League Baseball. I guess if they put that rule in, then you got to abide by it. But uh, I think there's only what what is there? Uh, San Diego still left, and uh, is there another one? I thought there were two. T- oh, Milwaukee. So there's still two teams out there that uh, that need uh, managers. Well, Larry, let's get to this. Uh, we know what the Phillies did and how well they did last year in the playoffs and how well they did this year again in the playoffs with an opportunity to get to the World Series. What do you what do you think of the number of teams that are in there, the wild card, uh, all that's going on in baseball? Uh, it just seems to me, and I may be 100% wrong, but first of all, I didn't know half, half the channels the games were on. Uh, I, I, I just... I just didn't see where there was any real buzz to watch particular any particular game. I don't care which one it was. Even when you got down to the semifinals and the finals, what, what's your opinion of this? I think, I, I, and the fact that they're talking about expansion, I, I just scratch my head. I, I think by having more teams, you're just diluting the product. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. it used to be you used to be rewarded. I mean, and again, Atlanta won, wins a hundred games. They should not be paired up with Philadelphia, not to say, hey, we beat them, that's fine, but a team that wins 100 games over the course of six months, they should be playing the lowest seed every single time. It shouldn't be mapped out that saying, oh, Atlanta's got to play Philly after this, after the Phillies win the first round. 
to me, when, when you win 100-plus games, you've earned that right to play the lesser seed all the way down until you either get eliminated or you get to the World Series. There's no reward now for having a great season. Uh, you know, he, uh, to, to have a team, there's going to be a team, you watch before this thing's all said and done, that plays either 500 or under 500 against in the playoffs. And to me, I think that's making a joke out of the game. I really do. And win the World Series. You're right. Yeah. Exactly yeah there's, there's, right. There's, there's no question. That could happen. Because you get a real, yeah. as you well know, you guys, you guys watch baseball. I don't care what team you're on. If you get a pitcher that's real hot, he can beat anybody. It doesn't matter what And especially two. If you get two pitchers yeah. that are red hot, you got a shot I to agree. go all the way. Yeah, I agree with that. And, uh, you know, I I just think you're diluting the product. And uh, I guess they're even thinking and about adding I think you lose the team. fans. I just don't think the – I don't think the interest – I mean – well, growing up, I, I, when I think, you got to the World Series, man, I mean, you, you wanted to see these yep. teams play. I mean, and yeah, and I don't think that's the case now. The times that they well, play, that, you're going to play, you're going to watch a game at four o'clock in the afternoon. Two teams you don't really care about. They're not. The, you're not your hometown team. Uh, I don't right, think it then, works. Then you have, and then they, there was a couple times during the week where they had three games on at one time, all on three different channels. Right. You, know, I mean, yeah. you, you want to get young kids involved in, in, in baseball and everything, the younger generation, and they turn on the TV and they don't know which game to watch because there's three different games on at the same time. Uh, I don't know. I know a lot of it's driven by money, which I get it, but uh, I, I just uh, – I, I, I like the format where you win the division, you play the division, you have one wild card, or at the most, you know, I think that's – that that serves the purpose. You're going to get the real winner eventually. But the way it is now, like you guys said, there could be a team 500 or maybe under and get hot and eventually get to the World Series. Well, I'll tell you, Larry, I, I've worked with uh, middle school uh, children, sure. um, young people, I should say. And yeah, I tell them some stories about when I was growing up and, you know, and you're a little younger than me, but obviously, but, uh, I can remember it was 59, and Mickey Mantle and Willie Mays would have all-star teams after the World Series because the games are all over in October. Right. You know, the right. World Series. And they would barnstorm because I can remember being at Connie Mack Stadium on a Saturday night, and it was Willie Mays' team against Mickey Mantle's. And they did right. this to generate additional uh, income because their pay – was nowhere near even on a scale compared to today. Nothing like it it is uh, versus today. Yeah, I I agree with you hundred percent on that. I mean, uh, uh, I I just I I just think that the fact that they're even talking about expansion, and if you watch some of these teams, I'm not saying all of them. There's some teams that are really good, but you see some teams that throwing pitchers out there now, and they can't even throw the ball or plate. Mm-hmm. And you're saying, man, and now they're thinking about expanding. So you expand another team. You're talking about another, what, 12, 13 pitchers on a team that coming up from the minor league somewhere. Uh, I don't know. I, I no don't, shot. No shot. Yeah, no I, shot. I, I, agree. Right? I agree. Yeah. I agree. Well, hey, my I next question to you is, you were third base coach for Joe, mentioned it earlier with, over in New York. Uh, in, the world, in, the, yeah, in the World Series it was. Uh, and, and you were, I, I would say, you could change my opinion, but I, I always assumed and felt watching you, and I see almost every Yankee game, 
you were very aggressive, third base coach. You, you right. were not a guy that laid back. You were aggressive. Would, would that right. be correct? Okay. Yeah, I was aggressive. In the game also, the other I day. I was aggressive Pardon? with the scoreboard, too. I'm not going to be aggressive <laughs> running into outs when you're three runs down or two runs oh, yeah. down. The scoreboard indicated right. if I'm going to be more aggressive or, or maybe dial it back a little bit. Uh, who was pitching? Who was pitching for you? Who was pitching against the, against you? Do you need a run here? You think you're going to get more than three or four runs at the time? I mean, there's a lot of things that go into when you want to send a runner. Well, I don't. I don't think by, by bring it up because I don't think sending the runner in the first inning. I, I don't know whether it's game six or game seven on that double to left center field, and he was out by four or five. I'll say four feet. I mean, was, was and that, you're, you're that a team that has to win. You're you're behind. You have to win. You want to get right. the lead right away. But you was send that the a guy Arizona like game? that. Yeah. Against uh, against Texas, yeah. Was it was, it, and I think it was the first baseman for Arizona. He he got a bad read first of all. You're exactly yeah, he right. Got a bad first base and they sent him. They sent him, and he was out. I mean, he's not a he's oh, he not a fleet out. runner to begin with. And the third he, base he coach, ran through, he ran through a stop sign. Now the, the coach gave oh, him. Did he? I, I didn't see that. Yeah, I, showed, and I'm saying yeah, to myself, showed, how can you send you know, this they, guy? Yeah, you you can't. <laughs> you can't, especially That's after the bottom And with no outs, that even makes it absolutely more of a absolutely. Bad yeah, yep. Larry, I'll tell you, it's always a pleasure. I want to thank you as always for being on. Love you, Larry. It, a lot of fun, a lot of things to talk about. Great sport, and all we got to do is get a little more, a little more enthusiasm. Don, we got to ask Larry a, a question before we uh, we break. Okay. Uh, how's okay. Charlie coming along, Larry? Charlie's doing good. I talked to him today. Uh, he's doing very oh, well. Great. He's rehabbing, and uh, great. Uh, he'll be in spring training. He's doing good. Great. Excellent. Great. That's great news. Thank you, both. Thank you very all much. Right, we'll do it again. All right. You talk. You guys take care. All right. Bye-bye. You too. Thanks so much. Well, now we're going from one superstar to another superstar, a Hall of Famer, Bill Berge, played for the Philadelphia Eagles. And, uh, Bill, first of all, welcome to the show again. And a quick uh, observation from you on what we saw on Sunday against the Dallas Cowboys. Well, I think you are looking at the very best team in the NFL, followed by probably the second best team. The Eagles, of course, being first, and the Dallas Cowboys being second. Roger? Oh, I, I think you're right. I, I don't think we've seen, we've talked about it before, Bill, I don't think we've seen the best of the Eagles yet, maybe in the uh, Miami game. Uh, but, uh, yeah, a lot of questionable uh, pick calls uh, on the uh, Cowboys' side of the, uh, of the ball. And I I, th- I think the Eagles were very fortunate to uh, to win that game, but they are uh, what eight and one. They're the eight and one, and you know you got to keep one thing in mind. Galen Hurst was hurt. He had a bad knee in that game, and he right. had he he didn't struggle a little bit. But uh, we got a guy by the name of AJ Brown, who I think is the most valuable player in the league right now. So we got a lot of things going. We got a great defense, a good defensive line, good offensive line, and I think that once they put everything together, 
I don't think anybody's going to stop the Philadelphia Eagles. And that's not just because I've played with them. I'm telling you, they are that good. I, I sort of agree with you. Everybody said that from the beginning of the season. I don't think they played up to their capability at this point or to this point. But uh, going back to the Cowboy game, uh, a lot of folks that uh, we talked to in, in Philadelphia, uh-huh. uh, you don't seem to see the same kind of enthusiasm for the Dallas Cowboy-Philadelphia games that we saw during the heyday. When you were there, uh, and as you said, beating the Dallas Cowboys cost you winning the Super not cost you winning the Super Bowl, but certainly was a factor, and you're not winning the Super Bowl. I, I don't think there's that kind of drama anymore. Well, you know, I hate to disagree with you. I still think the drama is there. You know, it's a hated rivalry going both ways, and uh, I think the Eagles would like to reach the Dallas Cowboys as bad as the Cowboys would like to, to reach the Eagles. Roger? Well, yeah, the, the, you know what it is, Bill? The, uh, because the Cowboys haven't been great like the the Cowboys were in your uh, time and, uh, you know, in earlier, uh, you know, 20 years ago, 25 years ago. So the young people, the kids, the young people in their 20s, they don't remember when, you know, Troy Aikman, three uh, Super Bowls, uh, I, you and I remember Buddy Ryan with the uh, buses circling Texas Stadium, the Bounty Bowl, they talked about that on Sunday. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Jimmy Johnson uh, saying that uh, a Buddy uh, wouldn't uh, shake hands with me. You know, he got his big, fat butt, uh, you know, up That's to, right. to the uh, – yeah. That's right. And you know, it's not just then. It was back, uh, before that with a guy by the name of Roger Sawlock leading uh, – the Cowboys, and we had some unbelievable uh, games against the Cowboys, but uh, we usually came up on the short end of things, but boy, the people in Philadelphia wanted to see us beat the Cowboys in the middle <laughs> 70s in the worst way. Oh, oh unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. The, yeah. the enthusiasm, I mean, the, I mean, I know now, you know, Sunday's game, you know, it was a big crowd. It was sold, sold out. I mean, they weren't enthusiastic. I don't mean they weren't. But, I mean, they don't – not like not like those games that you're talking about. It just – it didn't seem to me like it was the same kind of push that uh, – but I, I agree with you about the Eagles. I think they have the best team by far right now. Their offensive line and their defense in total, uh, if they don't get hurt, uh, I think they're by far. Now, they got a very – we talked about the second half of the schedule – They've got four or five teams coming up that are very, very difficult. That's right. So, but you know something? That's a bingo right there. The the biggest thing is you win all the games you're supposed to win, and then make sure you stay healthy. And that is the recipe for winning football. And right now it looks like the Eagles have it. Roger? That's exactly right. If they stay healthy... Uh, but, you know, uh, 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 both of you, you know, what's, what I think is in a, a factor where it didn't sound that way, Don, is that the link is not a circular enclosed facility. There's a lot of open air there. And I like at the vet where everything was enclosed, 
you know, you're, you're, you're keeping the sound in there much more than you do with the link. And, uh, I, you know, I may be wrong. I just think that, that it makes sometimes it doesn't sound uh, as, uh, sub, you know, the fans are not as loud as, as you and I remember them. But, uh, but, you know, they've got the big crowd there and then the tailgating, right, Bill? I mean, you're around there. Oh, yeah, it's, absolutely. It's wild. It's wild. It is. And people, the fans are, they remind me of the fans back when I played, really. And they really get into these games. And uh, it, it's just fun to sit with them and around them and watch them do their things because they think the Dallas Cowboys, they would rather meet Dallas than anybody in the league. <laughs> I agree with that. I, I think that's held over. I think it's true. Let me uh, get, let me ask you this question, Bill. Uh, yeah. Your evaluation. I know you watch a lot of football as well as the Eagles. Your evaluation of the uh, level of play in the National Football League. Are we reaching parity now, where all we're going to get is one or two teams like Forty ers like the Eagles, you know, that uh, have a chance to maybe step out a little bit ahead of the rest of the field, but the rest of them are, are right there, sort of a parity situation. Yeah. The parody is really right on the nose. And, uh, you know, I've always said, you watch a football game, even take the game between Dallas and the Philadelphia Eagles, there's going to be four or five plays that will make the difference in winning and losing. And that's the way it is in a lot of games. And if you're hot and you score real quick, and then you can kind of relax a little bit. That uh, that that means an awful lot to a team too. So, anyhow, you just have to you have to play every play like it's your last play, and uh, good things will happen for you. And uh, I'll tell you, the parity in the NFL is a lot more than it ever was back when I played. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more, Roger. Well, the, yeah, there was uh, uh, it was one of the best times in in NFL history, uh, and and the, the you know, or then those days you didn't have as many teams. I mean, we've had you know a couple of teams that had been added uh, in That's the right. last uh, twenty thirty years. You yeah, know? we started and, out with twenty eight teams. Now there's thirty two. Yeah, thirty two, exactly, yeah. and and that changes things too, and. Uh, you know, and, and the movement of teams. Well, listen, you know, back to that 1981 Super Bowl, Jim Plunkett and the uh, Raiders. And now the Raiders have had to L.A., uh, from Oakland, L.A., back to Oakland, and now Las Vegas, all during that time in the last uh, 40 years. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, it just shows you the way uh, the, the uh, football – well, Don – uh, you know, bring up what you got up on Sunday to see the game at 9.30. That's a first for you. Well, I, I, I just don't think it's, it doesn't make any sense to me to play three games in one day or four games in one day. You know, and, and listen, you're looking at Kansas City, and, and listen, Ron's a, probably one of the best coaches in the National Football League. He certainly has a record to show that, that Kansas City is outstanding team. Uh, Miami struggled. But playing at nine thirty in the morning, uh, Bill. Maybe you got, maybe you got up and watched it. But I think it's tough to do. 
Yeah, it is tough to do. Uh, but, you know, it's all about making money, and it's all about <laughs> the, the products <laughs> that they have. But uh, if I can go back to 1981, the year that we went to the Super Bowl, our record was 12-4, and four, and we got on a roll. And uh, we won every game that we were supposed to win. We sold a couple of games, but the bottom line is, just like you guys said before, the bottom line is, we all stayed healthy. We we didn't have anybody on the team that had as much as a hangnail. And, uh, you know, a lot of people say, well, wh- why didn't you win the Super Bowl then? Well, it was just one of those games where Oakland got on top of us and we couldn't catch up to them. And uh, I think the final score was like 27 to 10 or 27 to 7 or something like that. Well, Roger. that's right, and, and those games happen, and you never know when they're going to happen. I mean, you know, we were just talking to Larry Boabill about uh-huh. the uh, Phillies. Good money, uh, Yeah, and and then they go to uh, Arizona, and everything, uh, you know, vanished, uh, mm-hmm. you know, on that that flight to Arizona. So things happen, I you know, and, and it can be injuries, can be a lot of things. Yeah, but, the only uh, thing that really bothered me about Super Bowl 15, Jim Plunkett, who got the most valuable player, was on his way out. He had no football left in him, but he had enough to muster up a win against the Philadelphia Eagles, and he was selected as the most valuable player in Super Bowl 15, and that kind of irks me a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bill, when that. you look at the, uh, I don't know, I'll just take uh, last Sunday night's game, for instance. Uh, I mean, if you all even touch the quarterback, I mean, they threw some flags. I mean, I don't, I don't think they even knocked the guy down. I mean, no. I don't, I don't understand it. I, I, to me, so many things are being changed in the game that they've taken a lot of the. the the, the competitiveness out of the game. You know something that is a ving bingo. Absolutely right. You can't hit a quarterback high. You can't hit him low. You can't land on him. And if you do, it's going to be a 15-yard personal foul. And uh, you know, back when I played, I mean, the quarterback he was fair game, and we went after him. But uh, it almost gets me upset when I watch some of these officials officiating the game, and I said, they called that a personal foul? All they did was just kind of land on the side of of the uh, quarterback a little bit, and it just really, that hurts me too, probably more than anything. Right. Oh, you're, you're right, and, and you know, it happens every week. Uh, in one one game or more, Bill, it, it does. I mean, uh, the uh, and it's. I think it's gotten worse uh, in the last few years because uh, they want to protect the quarterback. But yeah. yet, if you look at the number of rookie quarterbacks that wound up playing, some by design. C.J. Stroud with Houston, uh-huh. and you know, there's some. And and now 
uh, Carson Wentz because there's such a shortage in quarterbacks. I see uh, one of the teams uh, signed him up today. Yeah. You know, and brought him Los off Angeles, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was. Yep, that's exactly right. Well, you know so, something uh, I've always said? It looks like the officials at times are trying to control the game instead yeah. of just call the game. Do the right stuff, but, Lloyd, some of these officials today just really, I, I don't know where they go to school for their officiating, but, Lloyd, <laughs> it just doesn't look very good. Well, one thing I think they're a little bit better on, and maybe I'm incorrect on this. You're a, you're an expert. I'm a I'm a watcher, but uh, the uh, pass interference. I, th- I think they're letting a little bit of if the ball's five feet over the guy's head, he can't catch it. I mean, uh, I I think they're a little bit better. Not not great, but a little bit better on pass interference. Your thought on that? Well. <laughs> i tell you what, thought is, I think they uh, messed up on pass interference, too. You can hit a guy within five yards from the line of scrimmage, and then you got to completely let him go. But downfield, that, that receiver may be getting after the defensive guy as much as uh, the defensive guy is getting off the uh, offensive guy. And uh, it just irks me that, it's always the uh, offense is going to get the, uh, the uh, call on that. I, I, I agree. In other words, if you chuck somebody inside the five inside the five yard spread, now for the most part, you're facing the defensive team. Now, if this guy you hit him, and he takes one step left or right, he's got two steps on you going the other way. Yep. You know. Uh, so to me, it's not a fair fight. I mean, especially the Eagles. Take number eleven. If you hit him five yards down, and you let him go out on a, go out on his pattern, you're never going to stop him. You're That's never right. ever going to stop him. I couldn't agree with you more. I absolutely believe that one hundred percent. Roger. Well, you know, and Ron Jaworski brings that up on the NFL sports Philadelphia on the pregame and postgame and really gives you a good analysis. And obviously you played with Ron and I know you're good friends and everything. And I really, you know, Ray Dinger was tremendous and, yeah, we're really blessed to uh, have two people like that that have been in that slot on that show because you really, uh, you know, as, uh, Ron breaks it down so simply as did Ray. I mean, the uh, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, Charlie Weiss on because uh, we talk about some of the broadcasters. Charlie Weiss on his show on NFL Network a couple. I guess it was last year, the year before. I'll never forget this. He was talking about Romo and on CBS, and he said, he doesn't tell you anything you already don't know. And I, obviously he's not a fan of Romo, but I'm not a fan of Romo. And, and I think he just gets caught up in, in a lot of crap, and uh-huh. that's unnecessary. You know, whereas, you know, I think uh, Olsen, at Fox uh, really breaks it down, you know, so that uh, the layman can understand exactly what's going on. 
And yeah. I, I, I don't know whether you agree with me about some of this analysis or not. I do agree, and I will Merle tell you one thing. Ron Jaworski uh, really does his homework, and he really studies. So what he says is pretty close to reading the gospel as far as football goes. Uh, he uh, studied under Nick Reveal. He was a great teammate. As a matter of fact, guys, I had a lot to do with bringing him here from L.A. for Charlie Young. And uh, I was asked if I thought it would be a good move. And I said, you get Ron Jaworski. And I said, it'll be a great move. And I thought the world of Charlie Young, too. Hall of Famer, Bill Berge, has been with the segment that Bill, uh, I don't know if he's in Florida right now or whether he's in Philadelphia. Uh, He splits his time between Florida and Philadelphia. But, Bill, first of all, uh, my last point is, Okay. How's your health? How are you, how do you feel and, and how's you know, your health? You know, Justin, I'm doing real good. I thought I was going to have cancer for the third time, uh, and then took a biopsy of the roof of my mouth, and I didn't get the results for nine days, and I was on pins and needles really wondering if I was going to be okay because my wife and I, we got a trip to Hawaii for a big family reunion where there's going to be about 60 virgins over there at my brother's resort. And uh, I'll tell you, I didn't know if I could do that. I didn't know if I could take my vacation to Florida in January, but everything is okay. And when the doctor called, I was working out at my health club, and uh, the call came. And... uh, they said, uh, your wife, Mickey, is on the phone. She needs to talk to you uh, right away. And I, I just rolled my eyes back in my head, and I go, oh, I am in trouble. And she said, the, the surgeon called and said, there's no more cancer, and you're, you're in great shape right now. You can do what you want. And it was the so biggest Billy, you couldn't have been a better, you you have been a better guy and a, a, a better piece, the at least to us, the, the work at this industry. You couldn't have been better than you were when you were a player. You're even better now. You've been on with us so many times. All I can say is congratulations. God bless you. I couldn't be happier that uh, you're going to get to Hawaii and get every place else you want to go. Thank you so much for being with us. I thank you guys, and you're Where the best. You've been going up uh, the way you, you got it going. You really do a great job. Thanks, thank Bill. you, sir. God bless. All right. I appreciate that very, very much. Mike Schulte is on the line with us. Next, we're going to switch over our attention to college football for a, a segment now. And uh, first of all, uh, Mike, we had uh, some great games last week. We got some great games this week. Uh, it's getting more and more uh, serious as the season unfolds. Uh, any surprises at the moment that you want to touch on? <laughs> There's always surprises. Well, uh, thanks for having <laughs> me on. Um, yeah, uh, well, you know, what's crazy is that there's only three three weeks, uh, three games left in the college regular season. That's what's crazy. Um, right. But, yeah, there's always surprises every week and, you know, number of surprises this past week, really in some different games. And um, so, uh, you know, as you had mentioned, they're, they're all really important games now uh, going down this final stretch here. And uh, there's, there's a lot of games. If you look at the, 
if you look at the matchups even this weekend, it's there's quite a few games where the the line is like one point either way or whatever, and a lot of t- what I would call toss-up games. And uh, it's going to be really interesting to see uh, what happens this weekend um, in, in some of the the games and in, in some of the top ten teams, actually. So uh, a lot right. could happen here and a lot of football left uh, to be played, and, and it's about as uh, as clear as mud as far as what's going to happen <laughs> here at the end. <laughs> Roger? Yeah, and a lot of other things happening uh, behind the scenes uh, for uh, one of the t- uh, top four teams in the country, uh, those Michigan Wolverines and Jim Harbaugh. I mean, uh, it seems to be the main topic of conversation uh, by many of the uh, radio sports uh, talk shows. Uh, you know, uh, Mike, uh, I was listening to a couple of them today, and there's just a uh, – the, the, the Michigan fans don't want to hear anything, basically, and everybody else wants to uh, take all kinds of actions. So what's your, what's your opinion about this situation? Uh, well, personally, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, you know, it's so hard to, to disseminate all the information. Um, you, know, you know, everybody deserves their, you know, due process, if you will, of, of you know, Going through the pro, you know the investigation, and I, I think one of the things that that sort of you know popped up too, and certainly on social media, and I'm sure on the on the talk shows too, is you know now you've got you've got you know accusations of by Michigan uh, how they've got stuff on other teams, and you've got supposedly and you got other teams that have you know now talking about how that they they knew about something here or there and. And, and you know what 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 it's sort of seemingly coming down to is that there's going to be a whole bunch of well, you know they might have done this or maybe we did this, but then they, these guys did this stuff over here and these guys did stuff, you know the you know sports college sports uh, professional sports, um, you know they're they're tight they're 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 tight knit um, community so to speak um, they, they there's a lot of movement around. You got, you know, look, just look in college. You got, you know, coaches that hop around, assistant coaches that hop around all over the place. Head coaches that hop around from school to school, and you know, and you know, they they are all out in the recruiting trail together, and they see a lot of things, they hear a lot of things, and uh, you know, uh, you know, is this a domino that's going to, you know, send a lot of, of a lot of other dominoes uh, tumbling down? Uh, you know, from other programs or, you know, you just don't know. I mean, there's just so much out there right now. And it's sort of confusing, I think, uh, the whole issue. And it's not certainly not something pretty uh, for the sport. Um, So I think, you know, it would probably be better to everybody just sort of relax a little bit and let let it play out. And then then we can all have our opinions on whether they did the right thing at the end, I guess. But uh, in the meantime, there's football games to be played. And none of that stops uh, for all these things. So, it's you know, all the noise around the games, um, you know, the, the games are the most important thing right now. And uh, all the other stuff probably isn't going to be all uh, ironed out or or uh, any conclusion to it until after the season and probably after the postseason, I'm guessing. Mike Schulte, our special guest this segment. Of course, Mike joins us every week, a specialist on the end. CAA and college football as we talk about so many different teams and going right through that game, uh, Michigan's playing one of the big games of the year, 
They're going to be at Happy Valley, uh, Penn State University. They're a four-point, three-point favorite, which is a little bit of a surprise. They're playing at Happy Valley, which really means that normally you get three points for play or uh, of the spread. Playing home. But they're four-three yeah. going in, so uh, that's a little bit of a surprise. They're a little bit more of a favorite, Mike, than I thought they would be. Well, you know, they've, they've been winning big this year and all that. I, I think Mich- Penn State is certainly by far the toughest game they've had this year. Um, Penn State has had uh, certainly, you know, a uh, very, you know, their toughest opponent this year was Ohio State, which they lost to, but it was a, a one-score game. I think it was 20 right. to 12 or something like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I would pretty much expect, you know, this probably to go a similar way in regards to being close. Um, you know, we're going to find out how good Michigan is, I think, uh, like I said, because, you know, their, their, their schedule this year hasn't, hasn't been, you know, super hard. Um, I mean, as far as the teams that they've played and, and their, the records of the teams they've played so far, uh, this is certainly, like I said, their toughest opponent so far this year. So we're going to see, you know, how, you know, they're either going to prove to a lot of people that, you know, with a big win that uh, that they are as good as everybody thinks they are. Um, or, you know, um, maybe they won't, and maybe Penn State, you know, can get them at home. That's a tough place to play, Happy Valley. And so, um, you know, w- w- and then we'll find out, you know, how good Penn State really is in, in regards to I'm the I'm sure it's going to be know, a whiteout. Roger, you're they, up. They play, yeah. they play really hard with, uh, with Ohio State, so we'll see if they can do the same same thing to Michigan. And, and what this is also going to sort of project in people's mind is what's going to happen potentially with the Michigan-Ohio State game. Uh, since since it, after this weekend they will have both played Penn State, a common opponent, which is considered to be very good, and so then we're going to be all speculating as to based on the results of this weekend, uh, what might happen in the in the final showdown, um, you know, between Michigan and Ohio State. So it's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, that that'll be a real uh, barn burner or a real draw. I mean, that'll get huge television numbers, Michigan and Ohio State. But, uh, yeah. you know, we were, it's amazing they were talking about it, Mike, over the weekend on some of the games about the Pac-12 and about, you know, how good the competition is out there. And that's basically the, uh, what, the end of the Pac-12 coming up after this. Yeah, yeah. After this year, there's only two teams left out there. Um, so that's going to be, uh, that's going to be real different. And there's a, you know, that, the, the future there is uh, is really up in the air. I'm not really sure what's going to happen there. I know that uh, uh, Washington Washington State and Oregon State have uh, basically filed some kind of, I don't know if you call it an injunction or whatever, but, you know, for the, the board out there, the, the Pac-12 board to not, you know, be able to meet because at this point they're, you know, based based what I understand by the bylaws of the conference, you know, any teams that, that announce that they're leaving the conference, lose their board seat. So I, I, I think there's only two boards, board seats left out there, meaning, you know, by the two teams. So I'm, and they're going to uh, end up deciding what's, what the future is of, of all the money that the conference has and the, the, the branding and the logo and, and all that kind of stuff and how that proceeds forward. So it'll, it'll be real interesting. But you're right, this year, I mean, they've got some, some good teams out there that are, that are right now vying to try and get into the playoff and, I, I would, as of right now, it, it appears that uh, you know possibly the winner of the, uh, the Big Twelve 
of the, of the Pac-12 championship uh, has a really good chance of potentially getting in the playoff this year, um, depending on, you know, whether they uh, – what happens with probably Michigan-Ohio State, if Michigan were to win this week, and, and then Michigan-Ohio State play each other, of course, so one of them is going to lose. And if, uh, if you know, if, uh, you know it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see if the CFP committee – uh, decides to to have two Big Ten teams uh, in the uh, the Final Four, or if if there's a Pac-12 team that can get in there, or a Big 12 team that could get in there, along with an SEC team. So it, it, there's a lot, like I said, a lot uh, a lot can happen here over the next you know, few weeks, and there's some big games to be played on on both sides, including Georgia uh, this week, and Georgia's got a couple, they got to play a couple of tough games uh, yet. No question about that. Uh... Mike, of course, with the Reliant Bowl, and, and he's uh, New Year's Day right here in Tampa, Florida. And uh, one thing I want to ask you about is uh, looking at what's happening right now, not necessarily at the top of the list, but uh, you always get good teams. But I, I think looking at the list, you might have a shot at Notre Dame this year. Well, you know, uh, you know, our, our conference agreements are with Big Ten and SEC, um, but, you know, we do have a, a, a caveat on the Big Ten side that if a Big Ten team is slotted in the Orange Bowl, then instead of a Big Ten team, we're, we're able to take a, a ACC team, of which you know, right. Notre Dame is, 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 for bowl purposes, is considered an ACC team for that, you know, in that regard. So, um, so that, you know, they, they could be someone that if, if we, if that happens and we are shifted over to the ACC, then we'd be looking at, uh, some, some different possibilities from the ACC and obviously Notre Dame is, would be, you know, one of those that we, you know, we could consider in that scenario, but, uh, it really is going to come down to the, uh, you know, whether a big 10 team goes to the orange bowl and it's really hard to tell right now if that uh, scenario uh, is going to take place. Um, it's sort of a, a complicated, uh, you know, situation in regards to how they determine that. But in a nutshell, uh, they take once their ACC team is, slot is filled in the Orange Bowl, their other slot is filled by the higher ranked of uh, of an SEC team or a Big Ten team at that point. Um, and so, uh, you know, the final rankings basically determine. Um, you know what what's going to happen there. So it's really going to come down to that final selection Sunday before we have an idea whether whether that uh, that whole scenario would kick in with us taking an ACC team or if we would we would go with the Big Ten team this year. So it's uh, well, Roger. Said, you lived in Atlanta for a long time before coming back to Philadelphia, and right now uh, Georgia's eleven point choice over Ole Miss, and uh, that mm-hmm. could be a lot closer than twelve points, and. Uh, Georgia, uh, some of your thoughts uh, on the fact that they're in the number two slot pick this week, with Ohio State being number one uh, in in the uh, in the in the selection committee. Yeah, well, I I can understand that because uh, I don't think that uh, Georgia uh, they've played some uh, close games against uh, lesser competition, uh, in my opinion, uh, versus last year and the year before. And, uh, you know, I, I think that that's the way it's, it's also the coaches poll is, as I believe, you know, that's what I've read. And I think the coaches sometimes, uh, uh, they get a little personal because, uh, they figure, hey, George has been in this, uh, position for, 
uh, in the last couple of years, and uh, this gives us an opportunity. I may be all wrong, but I look at it that way. Uh, but, but I'll tell you, I, uh, because uh, both of you, uh, you know, when uh, you went to Texas, you know, there's some speculation uh, that Arch Manning uh, may uh, be on the uh, transfer portal. Have you heard anything about that, Mike? I have not heard that one, uh, but in the, these days you, you never know. I mean, uh, you know. Well, he hasn't played. He hasn't played place. a minute of football. And when, no, uh, he hasn't played. That's the problem. No, he hasn't played a minute. When the number one quarterback was injured, they went to the number two, who is playing now, and uh, they're both uh, only only sophomores. So uh, it, it's going to be tough for Manning to get into play. So that has not surprised me at all. I would have thought he would. Uh, been talking about the portal long before this. I, I just uh, because he's not playing, well, that, there's no chance for him to play. Yeah, well, there, there's there's certain windows. There's only certain windows of time when you can go it. You can enter the portal. So I don't think this is a time when you're like, you're allowed to do that. So right. Um, so we'll have to see what happens. I mean, it, you know, it, that that is that is one of the I think positive things about the portal is it allows a, a player. Um, who's sitting behind other other good players to and not playing, you know, to, to possibly get a, a better chance of playing at a, another school. Um, I don't know if you recall, Justin Fields was was the third string quarterback at Georgia. Um, he was behind uh, uh, Jake Fromm, and then they were when they were both freshmen. And then the, another kid, which I can't remember his name, he was the starter going into that that there's that season. And the starter got hurt the first game, and and Jake Fromm came in, played really well, and basically won won the spot um, for the rest of the season. And and he was as a true freshman, and his and the other true freshman quarterback on, on the bench at that point was Justin Fields. And so he said, "Well, he goes, this guy's going to be playing for the next four years. Um, I need to go somewhere else." So he went. Uh, he transferred to Ohio State, and look what happened with him. So, right. know, there's times when that when that's uh, you know from the portal standpoint, that's probably one of the better things about that. It allows a kid to make a transfer one time uh, without sitting out, so that you know they can get some more playing time. Now, you know, I agree. I agree with you 100 percent on that. And I, that, I, that I, I'm amazed that Archie Manning decided to go to. He he uh, he knew that there were two players ahead of him going in. And even though he was the number one, supposedly the number one player to be selected uh, from a draft standpoint for colleges, uh, he had no. There's no. There's no place for him to play. I'm, I'm really surprised that he decided to go to Texas to begin with. Well, you never know what the circumstances are. Maybe he did. Maybe he felt like he, you know, he could compete there and play there and. You know, there's a lot of factors that go into you know decisions for these kids, and you know, which they should they should be concerning a lot of different things. And sometimes maybe is the it's the uh, it's also the um, uh, maybe the coaching and or the the, the coach's philosophy or the uh, the type of uh, of offense right. that the you know they, that they run. I mean, there's there's been a lot of good players out there who went to the wrong school in regards to you know they they weren't matched up properly with the the type of system uh, that 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 school ran, and and then they go to another school and they do real well because they, they use a different kind of system, and that, that's more um, it's more directed at, at what their you know their strengths are. So, 
um, you know, it, that's like I said, I mean, it's, that's going to happen and he doesn't lose anything by being there anyways. I mean, you know, he can, they can no. redshirt him and he's not going to lose anything on it anyways. And, and, uh, you know, so we'll see what happens, but, um, you know, that, that, that's, that's just something every, every school's having to deal with now. Every coach has to recruit their own team, uh, each year along with the new kids coming in because they, they, you know, they got to try and keep all the kids that are there. Um, and so it's, it's definitely caused the, a lot more work on the coaching staffs to, um, you know, to keep their team together while they're out, you know, still out trying to bring in new people. Mike Schultz, our guest this segment, and uh, to wind it all up, Roger, we'll let you ask the last question. I think we have well, Mike uh, Simchek ready to go. Yeah, a couple of things, uh, Mike. Uh, I think you're exactly right. I think uh, J- uh, Jalen Hurts is a perfect example of uh, going from Alabama to Oklahoma for that last year and uh, getting to uh, do some individual, have some individual feats. But another one that I'm familiar with going back, I guess, to uh, 08, and that was J. Bo Shaw, uh, who came out of Flowery Branch High School and was at uh, Georgia Tech. And his freshman and sophomore year played a lot of, uh, because of injuries. So he got a lot of playing time. But Paul Johnson came in, who ran a totally different offense than what he was used to, and he wound up going to Georgia Southern and having a great career there. And, of course, his brother, uh, Connor Shaw, uh, set all kinds of records uh, when his, in his years with Spurrier at South Carolina. So uh, that's one that I'm familiar with, that it really worked uh, well uh, for both of the players. Yeah, exactly, and that and that's like I said. That I think that's one of the really good things uh, that have come come about, you know, because of the the portal. Like I said, I mean, the the flip side of it is obviously is that you got a lot of kids that end up leaving for that that are getting playing time, and they still leave, you know, for whatever reason, you know, and uh, and it, it does make it hard on on the the team and the, the coaching staff, obviously. But you know, it is what it is, and and you just have to you know learn to work with it, but. I'm excited about the Reliquist Bowl this year. Um, it's going to be here before we know it. We've got um, some good possible, some great possibilities of matchups for our game this year, and uh, we're excited to see the last three weeks of the games here to see how everything unfolds in the on the final stretch here. Well, we're certainly looking forward to being there. I'll tell you that because uh, no matter where you go, there's going to be a good team. There are so many good teams on the on the docket right now that uh, you, you can't miss. You're you're, you're going to have an outstanding team, and uh, no, there's no question about that. Uh, one other thing I, I, I like to ask you about now, I don't sort of out of left field. I don't know the answer. Maybe you can explain it to me. But uh, the the there's an undefeated team in uh, James Madison, uh, in, uh, yeah, James Madison. Uh, JMA, uh-huh. and, and uh, uh, if they go undefeated, they can't play. I, I, don't, I don't understand why they can't play in a bowl game. Well, you know, I I, I really can't answer that. Um, well, um, I I don't really know what the rule is on that. I've not looked into that. I think it. I, they say they got to wait a year. They got to wait a year because they went from Division One or Division One or. Uh, whatever one double two a, division yeah. one so, I, don't, I don't know what the guess yeah. yeah. they were in two but, yeah it's, a, it's uh, they, some it's some kind of rule uh, it's some kind of rule uh again i'm not that familiar with it but evidently there's some kind of rule where they have to wait a year 
um, to uh, to do that. Sort of now, unfair, isn't I, it? it? Well, I don't. I like I said, I don't. I don't even know what the rule says. So I'm just saying that that's my understanding. That is there some type of rule like that? Um, and I didn't make the rule. <laughs> if you want to talk about the NCAA and rules, and that's a whole other discussion that we can tear apart. But, but um, I will say that I, I have heard, though, however, that in, in, in the event that there aren't enough teams with, uh, with uh, six wins um, to fill all the bowl commitments, then they're, they and and I think there's another team that's in that same situation um, will be the first ones to fill those bowl slots. So they will have okay. a, an opportunity. And, and, and the way it's looking right now, they're projecting that there is going to be a shortage of, of uh, eligible teams, bowl eligible teams for the bowls. That's a whole other argument. Well, I, I've seen them about. play four games. But, and I mean it, they're, they've dominated. Yeah. The, I mean, right now they're undefeated, but they've dominated most of the teams that they played, and yet they yeah. keep saying that, well, there's this rule, this rule, this rule, and I, I don't know the rule, and, and so I guess we'll have to find out before next week whether JMU's going to get a chance to play or not. Well, well they, they like were I structured said, like they're Villanova. Projected, go ahead. Yeah, I'm they're, sorry. they're projected ahead. right now that, that it's projected right now that there is going to be a shortage of other teams of other eligible bowl eligible teams for the bowls, and and they would be the first ones to fill that slot. So it, it sounds it sounds like just from what I read that there's a very good chance that they'll end up being able to play in a bowl game somewhere. Um, good. So good because they, they got a good team. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah, we'll see. They they were they were in. It's it's like Villanova. Villanova is in one uh, double A in football, but obviously has won national championships in basketball. Well, I did a lot right. of uh, Drexel James Madison women's games over the years. They were in the CAA, and then they were also playing football in there. Well, then they because they really draw. It's a, a really good school, so they've moved up. To playing Division One, and I've heard this before about schools when they make a move from one AA to Division One, they have been banned from playing any bowl games that first year. And I think what they they don't want is teams figuring, okay, well we can make the big payday, like we'll go up to Division One from one AA. I mean, because Villanova was talking about doing that a number of years ago. And uh, we talked about where they were going to build a new stadium, where they were going to play. Uh, Don Frank, is, I'm sure you remember that. And they were oh, going yeah, to absolutely. maybe uh, redo a Villanova Stadium so they could be one uh, Division One, and it, it didn't work out because they didn't want to be uh, the, well, Division One in football. Yeah, like I said, I don't know what the rule is, and, and I'm not sure why they came up with the rule or – or what have you. So um, I'm not a good one to ask about it, but I'm just, I just know what I've read so far. It does appear that the, a lot of people are saying that there's, there probably will be a bowl slot for them this year, just because of there's probably right. Roger. Other teams. Yeah. yeah. It'll, it'll work out. Yeah. Just like you said, Mike, with Michigan, uh, just got to give it time and everything settled down and things will work out. Yep. Yep. Well, Mike, once again, thank you very much for joining us. We really appreciate it, and uh, we missed you last week, but we made up for it this week. So thank you very much, and we'll get together next week, and uh, maybe you'll have a little idea what 
what direction your bowl is going to go in. Well, have a great week, week uh, Mike. Thank you. Every, every week is a, we're a little bit closer, so we'll we'll yeah. see what happens. But every week something happens you don't expect. So what <laughs> what will be the surprise this week? We'll wait and no. see. Mike, thank you very care, very guys. much. As always, we'll check Thanks, in with Mike. you next week. I haven't heard anything from Frank about Mike Simzak, whether he's ready to go or not. He's been, he's been here so waiting, I'm right here. For the last hey, he's right there. He's been in the bullpen the whole time, Don. He's there? I'm Mike here. Simzak is there? I'm here. Yes. I'm yeah, here. I've been telling you, I told you four different times. <laughs> uh, you didn't give me anything on the intercom. Nothing. Oh, I don't know who you were talking to, but you weren't talking to me. <laughs> okay, let's go to my. Mike, I've been, I've been trying to get squared away here for the last five minutes. I thought we were supposed to go, but I didn't hear anything about you being ready to go. But anyway, let's go to it. Some of your thoughts right now on what's happened in MLS, what's going on in soccer? Well, I am watching this um, uh, the uh, game two between uh, Philadelphia and uh, New England, uh, which is into the second half. New England are playing with ten men. Um, I'm still not a huge fan of this. I thought the uh, playoffs might go Why are they playing with 10 men? Uh, they got a red card in the end of the first half. Oh, okay. Um, one of the Revolution players stepped on uh, Daniel Godstock's chest, and you can't do that and still play. Um, I don't, I, I'm still trying to figure out why there was 11 days in between game one and game two in this series. Uh, so they will finish up with the first round, these best-of-three series, this weekend, and then go on a two-week break for the international break, and then come back and play the, sem- the uh, conference semifinals, the conference finals, and then the final is December 8th. I, don't, I, I thought maybe watching this, that this whole entire process would, uh, would grow on me, but um, I'm, just, I'm still at much of a... I'm still as much of an opponent as, of it as I ever was. Huh. Roger? Well, you're a, you're a soccer aficionado, and, and I agree. I think when you have uh, breaks like that, it, it really interferes with the continuity uh, for the uh, viewership uh, that are fans of the union, the, whomever uh, is playing. I saw the, uh, what was it, uh, last night or the night before the – Atlanta United uh, won. I think mm-hmm. it was what one uh, three to two, something like that. Was am I right about that? I think it, I think it ended up four two, and so they're going four to two. game three, Roger. And you brought up something like one of the reasons why they said that they did this was they wanted to build up storylines, they wanted to build up drama, they wanted to give you more games. But it's hard to do that when you have eleven days in between the first two games of a best of three series. Like, right. I can't get. There's no momentum, there's no rhythm, there's no, you know, it's like you're playing a game and then another game against the same team. There's no momentum, it's not a series. This is two, like, compartmentalized games. Could you imagine if in the Major League Baseball playoffs, what Philly would have been like if there had been 11 days in between games one and two of that first round completely lose, completely lose your interest. That's right. Yeah. You, you know, I, I mean, I'm watching it because I want to see what happens, but you know, it's I'm str- struggling to remember 
the game and there's no momentum, there's no, it's nothing. And so you're talking about, oh, well, we need to do this so that they get more games, more games, more games equals more drama, more games equals more drama. And then you kill it by stretching them out over like three weeks. Exactly. You can't, you can't. I I got to agree with you really. Like no question about it. Roger, go ahead. No, I, I, I agree because I think you got to have continuity uh, to the viewership and uh, the listenership, and uh, because I know the United has a, a strong uh, a radio uh, fandom, uh, and they're on you know the top uh, sports station in Atlanta, a, a big time Odyssey station, and uh, you know people expected to be on like a baseball game. They expect to be at a certain time. And if it's in the playoffs, it could probably be, what, at uh, 5 o'clock or 4 o'clock and 8 o'clock. And I think that's what they need to do in soccer instead of thinking maybe a little bit too much out of the box, in my opinion. Yeah, they, by the time when they started the series, the Phillies were still in the playoffs. It's going to be over, yeah. and Villanova's already won a basketball game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, well, you're a little prejudiced. You went to Villanova. We we know that. You, you have to get Villanova in there now. <laughs> well, I have to do it somehow, but I'm just saying, about how much things have changed. Let me ask you this, Mike. Uh, what is the media reaction and fan reaction to what Washington did last week, trading those two outstanding? One of them has already signed an extension on their contract in Chicago. What's, what's the feeling in Washington? We're washed out this year? You know, it was kind of immediately in the aftermath of the deadline, it was, you know, doom and gloom. We're going to lose. Let's get into this rebuild. We'll get a new head coach next year. Ron will be gone. We've got new ownership. You know, sure, this season's going to stink. We thought we were going to be great at And then they traded them. And then they went up to New England. Now, I guess, I'm sorry, New England is not the best team in the world, but they won. They're back to, what, four and five, and now it's you've got a game against Seattle. You've got another game against the Giants. Um, they've got some winnable games coming up uh, before they have to play Dallas, and all of a sudden everybody's a little bit more invested, a little bit more excited. You know, hey, maybe they can turn this around. Maybe it's not a foregone conclusion. So I had to say they did play well. Last week against um, against the Patriots, but you got to look at the competition. Number one, uh, I thought again, Sam Howell is really starting to grow into playing in the NFL. And if there's any bright spot for the Washington Redskins or the Washington Commanders season, I think you got to look at the fact that they may have actually found a starting quarterback. Or a franchise no, I think, type I think he's an outstanding young quarterback. I, I love. I, he came out of North Carolina. I love that guy. I think he's going to be an outstanding player. But they don't have any picnic this week. They've got the Seahawks. Yeah, and so we'll see. I mean, another loss, they're down to four and six, and it's going to be right back where we were a couple of weeks ago. Um, I do think there's been a lot of rumors circulating over the last two weeks about the possibility that the commanders could trade picks to get Bill Belichick if he leaves, if the, uh, New England and decides to part ways, I think that would be just about the strangest thing 
that I could see um, Josh Harris doing. Nice. Where are we, where, where are we going? Huh? Well, you know, Mike, uh, I think that would be a mistake. Uh, I think that Roger, uh, Bill Belichick Roger, can we, has can – yeah. we, Can we hold that thought for next week? Yeah. We're just about out – we're almost out of time, and, and uh, they're having all kinds of problems. I just got another email from them that they're, they're having more problems with the towers. So uh, we're going to have to close Okay, we'll wind it up, Frank. I'm sorry, but the intercom wasn't working. I, even when you just got on there now, it was the first I heard you <laughs> – you know, says Boa. Okay. Okay. You, Frank, you close it out, Frank. You got it. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week. A grateful appreciation to the men in the United States Armed Forces, men, women, peace, and fire services. When you're out there and see somebody in uniform, please let them know you know they're there. Not everybody in a uniform is a bad guy. There's a lot of good men and women out there running in where we're running away from the dangers. These programs are dedicated to those who lost their lives in the line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman Jeffrey Colcutt, Patrolman David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Yazowitz, Sergeant Thomas Bainger, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childers, San Diego Officer Mike Henler, Sergeant Tom Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Office, uh, Patrolman Charlie Condit, Carpet Springs Police Department, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department, Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department, Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department, Sergeant Chris Levine, Philadelphia County Sheriff's Department, Patrolman Anopo Christian, Lakeland PD, Lieutenant Joe Zerba, Newcastle County Police, Deputy Josh Meyer, Nassau County Sheriff's Department, Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department, Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Jerry, uh, Jerry Flakus, Wilmington Fire, Fire Department. Lieutenant Artis Pope, Wilmington Fire Department. Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol. Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol. Chief Al Hogle, Longbow Cay Police Department. Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department. Uh, Deputy Mike Hargrove, Pinellas County Sheriff's Department. Deputy Blaine Lane and, and Chris Meyer. Polk County Sheriff's Department, Sergeant uh, Chris Fitzgerald, Philadelphia Police Department, and Temple University Police Department. My brothers and sisters, although you may be 10-7 at this point in time, and sometime will be 10-10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, when the Lord rise up to meet you, may the winds be always at your back, and the rains fall softly on your fields, sunshine lightly on your face, until we meet again. May the good Lord keep you and your family always in the palm of his hand. Good night. God bless and have a great week.
1999 is responded to his last emergency. May God rest his soul and all the souls of the faithful departed. 